you know, the book of Philippians, I mean, it's been great. So Philippians 1, what do we learn? For me to live is, and to die is, yeah, I mean, it's an unbelievable thing. I mean, I live for anything but Christ, I die. When I die, it's done. But when I live for Christ, it's one. It's, it's like a, a level up. When, to, to, live for, to live is Christ and to die is more Christ. I mean, to really know Christ and love Christ, and uh, what a blessing. But really, that, that passage of Scripture, what's going on is there's this link for the Gospels. So, so Paul is actually exhorting um, the, the people that are having dissension in the book of, of Philippians, he's saying, now, stop that. Stop fighting and join back together for the gospel. Because after this passage, right, I mean, well, well, right before to live is Christ, to die is gain, he, he talks about how I rejoice that the gospel's preached, though I'm in chains. I, I love that the gospel's preached, even though I, um, people do it out of contention. But, and then he, then he ends and he says, in fact, in verse 27, what he does, he says, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I'll hear of your prayers, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he's saying, come back together, work together for the gospel, participate. Put your arm in each other's arms and advance the gospel. Put your shields together and, and protect the gospel. Live worthy of the gospel. And, and there needs to be a, a sweet humility. Um, but there won't be a, a unity without that sweet humility. I mean, if everyone's doing their own thing, right? If everyone's thinking about their own things rather than things of others, they won't be able to link arm in arm and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for there to be a sweet unity based on humility, it must be that individual Christians figure out how is it that they can be more like Jesus Christ. Like, like have you noticed that um, like the theme of what we were doing in the morning was pursuing Jesus Christ? That, that, that was our theme, that pursue Christ. But, but you know what I've been finding as I'm listening to some of you and listening to some of your counselors? That some of you are kind of going like, well, how do I pursue Christ? I mean, I know I should. I mean, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I, I know I ought to be humble. And, and you know, and, and, I, and I know that I ought to forsake religion and I need to embrace Christ. And I, I know I need to enjoy Jesus Christ. But Will, can you just give us one more message that's super simple and a message that really just explains how is it that Christians can grow spiritually? How is it that Christians can practically pursue Christ? You know what would be really awesome to me? What would be really awesome to me is if there were some of you that just by God's grace, you began to have a passion for Jesus Christ and a passion to know Jesus in his word and to pursue him with all of your heart. And in verse 12 of, of Philippians chapter 2, we see the start of an explanation of how is it that Christians can grow spiritually, how Christians can pursue Jesus Christ. He says in verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So, so how is it that we can pursue Christ? How is it that we can grow spiritually? 
Well, in verse 12 and verse 13, we see uh, uh, really an equation that starts to be shown to us. We see the Christian's part in spiritual growth, and we see God's part in spiritual growth. And so in verse 12, he tells us, My beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he says, work out your own salvation. So salvation, did you know that there's an aspect of our salvation that's past tense? The salvation, it means to be delivered. That there was a point in time where I was delivered from my sin. I was delivered from the consequence of sin. And I was delivered from sin. And I was really delivered to God. So, so it's my justification. It's the point in time where the wrath of God is satisfied. Where the, the finished work of Jesus Christ is applied to my account. And so we could say it this way. I got saved. Do you remember when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? then what do you say? I got saved. It's past tense. But there's an aspect of our salvation that's future tense. How many of you ever look forward to heaven? What's going to be great about heaven? How many of you are pumped to see somebody that's already gone there? How many of you are excited to never be tempted again? I mean, there's a lot of great things about heaven, but the main thing is to actually see Jesus and our faith becomes sight and our hope becomes a reality. So from one perspective, I got saved and another perspective, I will be saved. But then there's a whole work of God that's going on right now where I am being saved. And, and, and what I'm talking about is really sanctification. It's where I got saved and I'll be delivered from all of the effects of sin and will be saved but right now I'm learning how that I am set free from the power of sin and you know what that is that's really maturity as you're growing and pursuing Jesus Christ you're beginning to understand how that the gospel that saved you is the same gospel that keeps you and the same gospel that changes you it's the same gospel that delivers you from sin and hell, but it's the same gospel that you're going to enter into heaven with, and it's the same good news that sets you free from sin in a practical way. And in this passage of scripture, he says, work out your own salvation. Now, notice he did not say work for, right? We've learned that a lot this week. I mean, we preach that message on righteousness, how I don't have righteousness. I need righteousness. I can't create my own righteousness. I need God's righteousness, and it can come to me through Jesus Christ. We preach out of Philippians chapter 3, how I need to lose my religion, and I need to seek Jesus Christ. So I'm not preaching work salvation. So what, what do you mean, think he means by work out? Well, let me tell you what it means, and I'll illustrate it. To work out your own salvation. It means to take what you have in Jesus Christ and, and let it just drip into every area of your life. It's like take what you have in your position in Jesus Christ and let it just conquer every one of your practices. So, um, like math. Remind me, who liked math? Okay, put your hands down. All right. So what do you do with an algebraic equation? How many of you have ever struggled with math and you went to a math teacher, a math tutor, and they said, oh, it's just easy. You just got to go da, 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 da. How many of you ever had that happen before? 
Well, well, actually, you know, I know that's like hard for us to hear, those of us that aren't good at math, but it's, it's really true. I mean, it's not like you can do multiple things. I mean, with an algebraic equation, there are mathematical rules that you take all of those X's and Y's and Z's and all those numbers and fractions, and, and, and really, you just work it out. You just, you just work the equation down to its most logical conclusion. I mean, I, I, how many of you have a math book that has the answers for half of the... Uh, isn't it funny how at first when you see that you're like oh awesome I'm gonna get half of them right every time is that true no it's not true and you get to the end and you go to the back and it's like 34 and you you look at your answer is 44 and you're like 34 44 what and you go back through and you try to like figure it out and then and then you're like what's going on but but when you do it the equation right you just work it down to its most logical conclusion it's just you you take what it really is do you know that the answer is already there in that problem do you see what i'm saying it's not like we added anything we didn't we didn't add five to get to, to the right answer. We didn't, we didn't put another minus sign. I mean, everything that's needed to get that answer is right there in that equation. Um, my wife and I, we've been married like 17 years. And Christy and I, I mean, um, as you grow in your marriage, you, you, you begin to realize like, wow, we need to, we need to kind of work on that. We need, to, we need to get a little bit closer. I mean, but, but do I need to get remarried to Christy? No, because I'm already married to her, but I need to take what we have. And what's that covenant relationship that, that really we're going to be one mentally, we're going to be one physically, we're going to be one emotionally, we're going to be one spiritually. I mean, all of that oneness that we've committed to each other on May 13, 2000, needs to be worked out so that it becomes better and better and better. Um, how many of you like coffee? I hate it. But most mornings in the Galkin family, there's a coffee pot that goes off at about 7. Because Christy likes coffee. Lots of coffee. And lots and lots of creamer. How can something that smells that good taste that bad? What happens in that coffee pot? Well, all of a sudden the water starts to boil, turns into steam, goes up this back little plastic pipe, it kind of cools down just enough so that it drips right below boiling. And it, and it drips over those coffee grounds. And, and the water, that's, that, that, that heated water, just kind of soaks into those coffee grounds. So that that water takes the essence of the ground up coffee bean and pulls it out so that the drops that go into the coffee pot are no longer called water, it's called sin. <laughs> Disgusting, wicked sin. But you know what's amazing about that is that that 
that coffee, I mean, it just stays like that. I mean, if Christy drinks a whole cup or a half cup, the, it, 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 something happened. I mean, it doesn't totally settle out. The essence of the coffee has now been so permeated into this homogenous mixture, right? And so you've got this coffee, and what happened is the essence of the coffee grounds now were dripped into every ounce of that moisture. And so what do we begin to realize is that, what is he saying? He's saying, work out your own salvation. He's saying, let the gospel drip into every area of your life. Let the gospel drip into every portion so that people hear the gospel, people smell the gospel, people taste the gospel, that everything you do has an essence of Jesus Christ. So, so how is it that you work out your own salvation? We, we know that it's our obligation. He said, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, how is it that we know that a teenager is growing up? We know that a teenager is growing up is when they take their obligations, they take their responsibilities, and they just start to do them. I mean, how many of you have ever had your uh, parents go away, and you know that they did not think that you would do your chores? you knew that they thought you would not do your chores and you did your chores faithfully and they come home and you just know you just know the, the way they're looking they're just kind of checking stuff you ever see how parents do that parents are really good at that but they're not sneaky because you guys see it you know and they're checking your room they're just kind of like pulling in their suitcases and they're kind of like eyeballing the room and it's all clean and and you can see your parents face and they're like ooh. And they're going over the kitchen. And I mean the kitchen's spotless. And, and mom's like, whoa. And dad actually opens up the dishwasher. And they're like, did our children just have revival or what? But what just transpired in that is you took your obligation and even though your parent wasn't there to inspect and your parent wasn't there to prod, you just said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to be mature on this one. You, you see what's, what's, what I'm talking about is, is like some of us need to just be mature on this one. We, we, we're hearing camp speakers. I mean, how many times have you heard a camp speaker say, read your Bible? I mean, how many times have you heard a youth pastor say, you know, you need to read your Bible? Who's ever heard that? How many have heard your parents say, read your Bible? Do you, you know what's going on? When some of you actually begin to grow and mature, you begin to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read my Bible. Not because mama wants you to, not because a camp spe speaker guilted us into it, not because we're trying to get some golden star so we earn some money to go on some youth activity, but where we're like, you know what? That's just my obligation. That's just what God wants me to do. I mean, I, he just, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. I, I'm just going to be burdened about doing what it takes to grow spiritually. So how do we do that? We, we actually, we, we, we take the gospel, what we've heard, and we begin to apply it. And the way that we apply the gospel is we go to the word of God and we say, help me to understand your word. Give me a piece of your word and let it go deep into my soul. I mean, as, as we're talking about the gospel conquering every area of our life, how many of you can think of at least one area that you need the gospel to conquer? 
But a teenager that gets burdened about this is a teenager that writes out that burden that you have and you actually pray about it. And you go and you get a list of scriptures about it. And you begin to read the Bible about it. And you begin to scripture meditate about that area. And you begin to work out your position in Jesus Christ so that you can actually see the gospel power conquer that sin. So some of you that are struggling with forgiveness, you know what you do? You think about which attribute of God do you not believe when you do not forgive? Well, I don't believe that God's good. I don't believe that God loves me. I don't believe that God cares about me. And you say, well, where could I go in the Bible to really understand that God loves me? I know where I'll go. Romans chapter 8. And you read through Romans chapter 8 how there's now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And you keep on working your way down and nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And you begin to get verses about God's love and you start journaling about them. And you just begin writing about them and you just begin to say God I want to know that you love me that, that's what a Christian does when a Christian begins to understand you know what it is my responsibility to take my position in Christ and practically work out my own salvation we see really our part, the Christian's part in spiritual growth in, in verse 12, but then we see God's part in spiritual sanctification and spiritual growth in verse 13. For he says, for it's God which worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. So in verse 12, he said, work out your own salvation. But in verse 13, he says, it's God that works in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. You see, Christian, you can progress because God is at work. How many of you are thankful that the Christian, Christianity is an alive relationship with God? That the Spirit of God works in us. That the Spirit of God actually pushes us. And the Spirit of God actually enables us. In fact, he uses this word works. It's kind of like a play on words. So, so he said, you work out your own salvation. But in verse 13, he says, it's God that works in you. And the word that he uses in verse 13 is the word that we could almost translate energize. It, it's like God does this energy in us. So we're talking mathematics. Let's switch to physics. What kind of energy is there? Potential and... Now, potential, that's stored energy. And kinetic is energy in motion. So the United States has an M1A1 Abrams tank. And the M1A1 Abrams tank, oh, whatever. M1, yeah, the Abrams... M1A1, it has a 120 millimeter smoothbore cannon. And they've got normal heat rounds, high explosive rounds, but they've also got these special armor piercing Sabo rounds. And, and those are actually just like a, 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 it's normally 120 millimeter, but the shell of the Sabo is only 40 millimeters in diameter. And it's got a ceramic plastic Sabo. It's, um, it's like a, well, it's a partition, it's just a, a clump of material that allows all the explosives to send out this smaller shell that would normally send out a larger shell, but all of that falls away so that that penetrator round goes through the air somewhere like at Mach 5 or 6. Now, there's no explosives in that Sabo round. It's, um, it's usually depleted uranium 
And so it's, it's non-radioactive uranium because uranium is so dense. And so they fire that round. It's traveling at Mach 5 or 6. And when it strikes the enemy tank, it doesn't explode because there's no explosives. What it does is it turns into a molten metal. And it turns into like this, this liquid slug that just punches a hole in one side of the tank. And it punches a hole as it exits the tank. And it creates such a rapid exchange of air pressure that what happens is, is everything on the inside of that tank tries to get sucked out of the exit hole. That's a kinetic round. We made that. It hurts. But God made the sun. We made a little shell, and God made the sun. And the same God that made the sun is the same God that is at work in you. With that energizing, that kinetic energy in motion, God is at work in you. In fact, that same word, worketh, was translated in Ephesians, or given to us in Ephesians 1, verse 19. He said this, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, word, who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him down at the right hand of the throne of God. Same word. So the same God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same God that's at work in you. He's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I mean, God is at work in your life right now. How do we know that God's at work in our life? How many of you have ever, um, you've ever been flatline Christian? You're just like, you were kind of like lukewarm and something in your heart stirred you up to know God. I mean, how many of you have ever, ever had something? I just want to know God more. How many of you have ever been listening to a song? I mean, there was a phrase in that last song that we were designed, we were designed to thirst for God. Isn't that a cool phrase? And you know, even as I saw that phrase, I go, yeah, God, I want you more. Where did that come from? I mean, where did that little impulse come from? I mean, how many of you have ever been sitting in a sermon and all of a sudden God's like, bam, where did that come from? Can, can I tell you something? That came from God. I, mean, I, I don't think um, that, that came from Satan. I don't think it came from the world. That didn't come from your flesh. I mean, have you ever gone to the mall? You ever gone to the mall and you wanted to buy something and it was just like materialism was just driving in your heart? Have you ever gone to the mall and somebody stopped you and said, you know what? Don't come in here and get the lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Go home and pray. Has that ever happened? You ever been watching TV and a commercial come up? 1-800-MEMORIZE-SCRIPTURE. Has that ever happened? No, Satan is not pushing us. Satan is not prompting us. Satan is, is not working in us to go after God. But when you find yourself dissatisfied with a flatline Christianity, when you find yourself hungering for Christ, when you find yourself something in you wanting more of God, then, then look up here. Then run after him with all your heart. Like straight up. How many of you would say summer so far has not really been the best pursuit of Christ? How many just straight up say, you know what, summer so far has not really been a good pursuit of Christ? How many say God is actually at work in you to pursue him? So what are you going to do? You know what a teenager that wants to pursue Christ is going to do? They're going to say, you know what, if I stay up till 2 in the morning 
shooting bad guys. I get up at 11 and I can't see Christ. You know, some of you are going to have to decide am I going to stay up shooting bad guys or am I going to read my Bible? You know, some of you got to decide. It's like, you know what? I got this job. I got to get up real early. And then, and then, but I come home and then I, I you know, maybe lunch. And, and so I'm, eating, I'm scarfing down some lunch and, and I'm flipping through things on my phone or I'm flipping through channels. And then I just end up wasting from like, from like one o'clock all the way to four o'clock. And then family comes home and, and you know what? Some of you are going to have to decide. Some of you are going to say, you know what? At 12 o'clock when I come home and I make lunch, I'm going to open up my Bible and I'm going to read about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Do you know what some of you staffers have to really decide is that next year, this next semester in college, that as you look at your class load and you got 16 credit hours, you're going to add a three-hour class with God and you're going to go to 19 credits this, this next semester and, and 16 of them, you're going to go towards your college degree and three of them are going to go towards your life degree. And you just say, you know what, I'm not budging. I'm going to read my Bible in the morning, but I'm going to take three extra hours with the Lord on, on Monday and Wednesday and Friday, and I'm just going to work it into my schedule, and I'm not going to let work cut into it, and I'm not going to let studies come in, cut into it, and I'm not going to let anything else, just like I'd have to show up to American history. I'm going to show up to a three-credit class with God. It, it, I, I think that we, we take the easy road so much. We're living in a generation where life is all about me. It's very convenient. It's very easy. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Pick up your cross and read his word. Pick up your cross and go after him. God's at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But some of us, we just start throwing the excuses. I, I just don't have the desire, Will. I, I just don't have the energy. But he just kind of cuts through that. For it's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's at work in you to do something about this. He's, he's working in you. He says, work out your own salvation without, verse 14, without murmurings and disputings. But why is it that he put that there in verse 14? I mean, what's, what's the deal about murmurings and disputings? Well, have you ever noticed, if we went back to the physics analogy, what is work? Work is the use of force to move an object a measurable distance against resistance. So, so you got this work going on, you're moving this. Uh, is, it, is it easy to pursue Christ, yes or no? I mean, it's, it's hard work sometimes. Oh, sometimes it's a delight, and sometimes it's duty, and sometimes it's just desperation. But, it, but I'm telling you, it's still work. I mean, even, I mean, have you ever noticed that when you delight in something, you're still working, it's just you don't feel it. I mean, if you're going out and you're playing soccer, you're, you're, you're having a great time, but you're still sweating, and it's still work, and you're still having to run, and you're still having to give it. Well, well sometimes you're, you're running because it's duty. I mean, some of us, we get up and we exercise or walk and run, or not because we like it, not because it's fun, but it's just the right thing to do. And some of us, we get desperate. We're like, I better exercise. I better do this, or, or things aren't going to work out well in, in the next little bit. But either, whatever the motivation is, it's still work, it's still hard and he says work out your own salvation but do it without murmurings and disputings because when you work on something there's friction and when there's friction there's heat and when there's heat it hurts and we murmur we complain 
That word murmur is just an emotional outbreak. In fact, it's, uh, it's one of those, what is it, onomatopoeia, you know, where the word sounds like it is. It's just like, blah, 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 blah. How many of you ever blah? How many of you are more blah, and how many of you are more disputing? Disputing is where you, like, remind God of things. Disputing is a little bit more of a mental complaining. I mean, how many of you are more emotional complainers, and how many are more, like, mental complainers? Who's an emotional complainer? You just kind of go, blah. Who goes, blah? How, how many of you are, like, like, calculated complainers? Do you actually think that one's more spiritual? Okay, I'm just checking. All right. You know when you blah, you can text blahs, you can email blahs. I mean, you can blah, 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 blah. I wish there was an example in the Bible of somebody who complained a lot. Can you think of anybody that complained a lot? Like, I don't know, like, like two or three million at a time? Like, maybe like the children of Israel? How many of you have ever read in the, about the children of Israel and you're like, and you start complaining about the complainers. You ever done that before? Like, what's your problem? I mean, you ever, you ever read scripture like, like the kings? And you're like, you're like, why did you make that choice? Have you ever done that before? Like, why did you do that? That's so obvious, you know? He says, do all things without murmurings, disputings. I mean, here are the children of God. The, they, they just got delivered from Egypt. And in Exodus 14, and Pharaoh drew nigh, and the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us in the wilderness to die. Have you ever noticed that when we complain, we say, like, really silly things? You ever notice that? Like, like borderline stupid. You ever, you ever notice that? We're like... Like the things that come out of our lips, it, they don't even make sense. And so they look at Moses. I mean, Moses just brought them out of Egypt. And here comes Pharaoh. And all of a sudden the children of Israel are like, so you just brought us out here to die? That makes sense. And, and Moses is like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I mean, just think about Moses. There he is. He's 80 years old. He's been in Egypt for 40. And now he's there on the deserts of Midian for another 40. And he's just standing around going, hmm. Man, my life, I mean, I've got 80 years. I, I don't know. It's been a boring life. I wonder what I'm going to do for the next 40 years. Hmm. Hmm. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back down into Egypt. I'm going to go round up two to three million Jews. Yeah. And then I'm going to take him out in the desert and kill him. <laughs> I mean, just think about some of the things that come out of your lips. Mom, Dad, you never get me anything. Except for the clothes you're wearing, the food you just ate, the air you just breathed. Isn't it amazing? We just start complaining about all these things. He goes on, and, and they come to Mara, and they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they are bitter, and they called in the name of it Mara, and the people murmured against Moses. It mixed multitude numbers. They fell lusting. The children of Israel wept again. They said, who will give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. And now our soul is dried away. And there's nothing but this manna. 
Just think about that. Nothing but the daily miraculous provision of God. Nothing but a, a miracle from God every single day. And yet they experience the pain, the thirst, the redundant eating. And they see God do all these unprecedented miracles. And they just are full of murmuring and disputing. Do you know what murmuring is? It's this discontentment with God. It's a stubborn resistance, an unbelief of God's sovereign control. I mean, at the very core of it, what happens is, is we just start puking out on everybody else what we think about God. Well, you know what we start saying? We start saying things like, yeah, God can save me from hell, but he can't save me from homework. God can save me from hell, but, but he can't take care of health. He can't take care of money. He can't take care of broken relationships. Do you know what we do when we murmur and we dispute? We basically point our finger at everybody else and we say, you know what? God's not good and God's not in control. But he says, if we do this without murmurings and disputings, he goes on, and what does he say? Verse 15, he says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, when you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and you do it without murmurings and disputings, you will be a testimony to the world that is around us blameless and harmless the sons of God faultless it just means that we're we're, we're we're really deal with people correctly harmless innocent the sons of God we're just showcasing God to everyone around us it's without rebuke that we're, we're just unblamed and unblemished and and rather than this world that's crooked and perverse I mean it's always the world is always after something but you're to be the salt of the earth do you, do you know what this country needs this country does not need any more church buildings I was just talking to some friends before the service, and I've been in their home church, and you know it's fascinating, this church is in Alabama, and if you drive from the church, and you go to the Starbucks, you just drive from the church to the Starbucks, you go by 10 different church buildings. Can I tell you something? United States doesn't need any more church buildings. The United States needs authentic collection of people who are growing in grace and letting the gospel conquer sin in their life. Do you know what your, your school needs? Your school does not need a high and mighty, proud person that just went to camp and everybody ought to just change. You know what your school needs? Your school needs a broken teenager who's a Christian who's growing in Jesus Christ. Do you know what your family needs? Your family doesn't need you to go and point out everybody else's selfishness. Do you know what your family needs? That your family needs a gospel-centered kid that's saved from their sin and that the power of the gospel is at work in their life and they're growing in sanctification because they have a hope that one day they'll see Jesus. That's what your family needs. They need to see a kid who just loves Jesus because of the gospel. You'll be a testimony to all those that are around us. I... Um, I traveled with another evangelist and we did these um, area-wide evangelistic meetings and I would go ahead and help him. We did four big ones and one of them was in Hawaii, right? So we went and suffered for Jesus. It was awesome. And I went ahead. My, my wife and I flew over about three, four times earlier to meet with churches and really take care of this and get this thing going. And, um, and so we we're going to be there for about a week and a half of meetings and preaching and different things and actually it was a great meeting there was a bunch of folks that that trusted Christ that are still in churches and stuff but we had about this three four days at the end that we're going to do a little bit of a vacation and so um, I was doing all the work to get us from Oahu over to Kauai 
And so I was, uh, this was back in the day where they were still doing a little bit of paper tickets. And so I had done all the work and I got the tickets sent to us. And we had a little group, I forget how many, maybe like, like 15 or so people. And, and so I got all the tickets and I got the itinerary. And, and about a month in advance, I called, I called ahead and I got the, the, the lady on the thing. And, and um, I was just talking to her and she goes, oh, oh, look at this. I think we're going to have to, your ticket's been changed. And so you're actually flying out. And, and I had gotten the ticket so that we'd fly out early in the morning so we could have all day in Kauai. And then we caught the last flight so we could have that day in Kauai as well. And somehow it was like now later and we're, we lose a whole day. And I said, no, I, I have the paper tickets. I mean, we really, we need to fly. And she said, no, I'm sorry, that, 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 that flight was canceled. And so this is the one you're going to be on. And I said, well, ma'am, no, we paid for this. And this is what we did. And she's, she's doing the little customer service thing. How many of you have ever had somebody start doing customer service, but you didn't want customer service, you just wanted it changed? And she's saying all sorts of nice things and stuff. And, and I'm like, ma'am, just switch us to back to the morning. She goes, well, I could put you on a different flight, but that's going to be $400. And, and I'm like, no, just switch. I'm feeling it. I, I want to share a little something, something. And she's like, what are you going to be doing on the island? And I'm just like, oh. And I'm like, we're, we're going to be at some churches. She's like, where on the island? And she's doing all the nice stuff. And I'm just like, just fix our tickets. And I said, we're going to be on the windward side of the island. And she goes, oh, what church? I said, that one is just a small little Baptist church. I don't think you know it. She said, well, what's its name? I said, it's Windward Baptist Church. And she goes, Windward Baptist Church? Kevin, the pastor, is my uncle. Oh. Really? That's great. So glad to find out. She comes to the meeting. She doesn't get saved, but she gets saved two months later. And I about blew a gasket for $400. Isn't it amazing how we say we're Christians and we say the gospel saves us and yet there's things in our life that we don't really take the time to work out our position in Jesus Christ so that the gospel permeates every aspect of our life knowing all along the way our ability to do that is because God's at work in us and we can be sanctified without murmurings and disputing so that we can be a testimony to the world that is around us, that we might shine as lights in the world, that we might hold for, uh, forth the word of life. Do you know what I believe with all my heart? I believe that when teens are growing in grace, teens start to get burdened about the ministry. I think when teens are growing in grace, they begin to think, how can I leverage the gospel into different people's lives. And you know what I think starts to happen? God begins to work in some of you about serving God with all your heart. You know what? I, on one side, we could talk about full-time Christian ministry. But on the other side, every single one of us are called to serve God full-time. Do you know that? 
I mean, I know some of your sponsors, and you know what's fascinating to me is, is how, what a blessing they are. There, there's, there's a couple here, and I don't want to call them out because they'd be embarrassed, but I've known them as they've served God in different churches, and there they are. They're not, they don't get paid as a pastor, and that they work their job, and they serve as youth sponsors, and whenever there's a need, it just seems like they, they, they reach out, and they help, and they serve, and you want to know something? It could be that some of you, as you grow in grace, as you really leverage the gospel into your life and God is at work in your life you begin to say something like this like like even today with Matt Herpster in the Christian Life Seminar and he's given those videos I mean how many of you were touched by any of those videos I mean what if God wants you to be really good at English so you can go to a foreign country to preach the gospel I mean what if God wants you to get an engineering degree so that you can get into some closed access access country so that you can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ but what if there's somebody here what if there's one of you guys that really you desire you don't know why you can't figure it out but something in you is desiring the the office of the pastor and something in you is saying I want to pastor I just want to preach God's word and I want to study God's word and I want to proclaim God's word can I tell you something the foundation of that as you working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it's God that's at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know what? I, I just want to shout out to the staffers. My sophomore to junior year at the Wilds and Rockies, the preacher was preaching about full-time Christian ministry. And I was thinking about half the message. I was like, yeah, give it to them. My campers need to hear it. And about halfway through the message, God switched it from me thinking about my campers to me throwing up my hands in my heart saying, God, you want me in ministry, don't you? You see, I think God was really working my life as just a junior, like a 10-year-old kid. He was working in my heart to go into full-time ministry. Some missionary was preaching, and I, I wanted nothing to do with it. I remember actually grabbing the chair in front of me, and I was like, no, I won't go into ministry because I don't want to be poor. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> like a 10-year-old knows poor, you know what I mean? And I'm so thankful God loved me so much that 10 years later, he brings me back to the same place and as this guy's preaching, and the response time was given, I just slipped on my chair, and it was kind of a unique preaching place, and we kind of had a place where we could pray up front. I just slipped out of my chair, and I got on my knees, and I said, God, I'll go anywhere, I'll be anything, I'll do anything. God, I'm tired, I'm tired of wrestling with you. Could there be a staff member guy here that God's been at work in your life all summer long? about serving him full-time in a ministry and desiring the office of a pastor? Could it be there's some camper guys here that God's working in your heart to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Could, could there not be a, a girl here that's saying, you know what, I, I just want, I want to be involved in some form of vocational ministry can I tell you something? As you work out your own salvation, knowing that it's God that works in you, he gives us the ability to grow so that we can be a light. We can be blameless, harmless, the sons of God. We can shine his lights in the world. We can hold forth the word of life. And he says, and then we're a joy to those that have poured into us. He says that I might rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause. Also do you joy and rejoice in me. Do you know what he's saying? 
He's saying when you grow in grace, do you know what happens? When you grow in grace, those that are poured into you have great joy. How many of you can think of at least one person that's pouring into you spiritually right now? Maybe a parent, maybe a pastor, maybe, maybe a youth pastor. And you know what? When, when you obey Christ and work out your own salvation, there's a great joy to those that have poured into you.